Welcome to the GNT Show. Welcome everyone to another episode of the GNT Show and once again I'm joined by my host with the most, a man who once went for the presidency of the Bulldogs Football Club on a platform of free parking at Belmore, G. <laughs> Where did you come up with that one? Well obviously it didn't work because I'm at home recording a podcast. Yeah, I, I just I just looked through your old um your old material, you know, with your signs out the front of people's houses at okay. Campsie. I will be, I think, maybe taking over the Parramatta Eels after their performance against Manly this weekend. Go Manly! Yeah, you were, you were, yeah. Very, you were very, very um, noisy over text. I have nothing to cheer for this year. I need something to hang on to. Please. All right. It was another massive week in the world of rugby league. I, I started listing the things that happened, and, and some of the things that were massive have completely been blown away because of the death of Bobby Fulton, Bozo. You didn't throw your bag of notes over the fence, did you, out of a white van? We'll get to that one, but do you want, do you want to cover Bozo first? I mean, I, as from a personal level, I grew up listening to the Continuous Call team with Chippy yes. and Ray Hadley and those guys, and that was really my, as a, as a young kid, that was my introduction to Bozo. But he was also the Australian coach. And he was an immortal. I never saw him play, but he was he was quite an iconic figure in the radio world as well and quite an iconic figure in rugby league. I mean, my first memory of test matches is the 1990 Tour of England mm. and, and just how how amazing that team was and the, the length of the field. Mal Meninga try in the second test when Ricky sold the dummy and all that sort of stuff. And I just think it's just, he was 73, died of cancer. I mean, you'd think he was much older, but he actually isn't that old. And left an indelible mark on the sport. I don't know what your memories of Bobby, Bob Fulton are. Same as you, really. I mean, I grew up, you know, the soundtrack to our youth, essentially, as kids listening to the continuous call team and him cracking jokes with the the team and talking about the football and sort of, you know, learning a little bit about the game from him in that respect. But, and also as the cantankerous coach of Manly. Remember when he he threatened to... What was it, the cement truck over Bill Harrigan? Yeah, yeah. So, but he, he was he was kind of, I guess, the iconic figure of the club everybody hated. But when you dig more into him, you used to see footage, obviously, of him playing. But and, and the funny thing is, he was that good that he looked like you know the old footage where they put it in fast forward. He was literally in fast forward in comparison to everybody else. He was streets ahead athletically and the way he you know from the highlights at least how he could take over the game. But um, and then as you learn more. His coaching record is incredible. I mean, he coached the Roosters, which not many people know, from 1980 to 83. That went well. It did. They made the grand final. They were in the semis. They finished minor premiers as well. So he had a really, really good team. Then he stole some of the players and went to Manly. And obviously at Manly, that team basically was a contender just about every single year. Won the comp in 87. Took a break and then came back and probably produced one of the greatest three-year stretches for a team of all time for Manly between 95 to 97, if you remember. Yeah, they were a great side, great side. Defensively, that team was incredible and just had... And they always played really good football. I mean, they should have won in 95. I mean, I thought they were the best team that year. I know you guys came from the clouds, right? The dogs came from the clouds. I mean, you guys won that game in the grand final and no one was talking to Jared McCracken. Yeah, I know. But um, he didn't play. He got ostracised for the <laughs> it's team. like... 
<laughs> but that team, that Manly team, was just uh, like incredible defensively in attack. They would, they had everything, and a lot of his teams played really good football. And he brought in the defense, that defense that kind of up and slide. So partly aggressive and a new type of system that made it incredibly hard to beat. And they they were dominant for three years in a row. But great coach, big loss, changed the game in so many ways. Great player and great coach, which is rare. Rest in peace, Bozo. So I might move on to a couple of the other things. It was a massive week, massive week. And and you'll yeah. see what I mean when I list all the things that happened. Oh God, now, I've probably forgotten like 10 of them and I've still got 10 listed. Jamil Hopawati. <laughs> yes. Now, my favourite part of this story, and he's innocent till proven guilty. He is. My favourite part of this story was, I didn't know what was in the backpack when I threw it over the fence. <laughs> Why were you throwing the backpack over the fence? <laughs> Maybe his tennis ball went over the fence and he was trying to retrieve it. I know that Jamil had a bit of a run with the Broncos last year, but if you're getting caught by the cops and run down by the cops, there's probably a reason why you didn't hang around in first grade. I mean, shouldn't he be out running these people? Well, in fairness to him, there was a fence in the way. There was, and he was around our old stomping grounds, Botany, in Banksia Street, which is That's great. right. It's where you grew up. Yeah, trying to wonder which fence it was. It was probably one of your neighbours. They had a sign out the front, apparently. It wasn't a fence, it was a sign. And it said, free parking at Belmore, vote <laughs> free G. Free parking, vote G, okay. The ubiquitous white vans everywhere. Correct. Free parking Correct. for white vans. Hey, why has that white van been parked out the front of our place for three weeks? How long does it take to deliver flowers? The <laughs> White vans used to have people with trench coats, and now um, apparently they have ba- um, backpacks in them. But yeah, correct. So we won't comment anymore on Jamil Hopalati. And you know what you want to do when you when you've had a bit of a hard run in a sport, you want to get Clive Palmer involved, and that's what Israel oh, Palau's done for the Southport <laughs> Tigers. He's he's back, and his credibility goes up a notch when you do a press conference with Clive Palmer next to you. Well, hey, if you can swing an election, I'm pretty sure you can get Israel Folau to play in the NRL. I mean, I actually think he shouldn't play. I I, I agree with the NRL on this stance, right? So I think they've said it's not consistent with the sports values. If that's the case, that's fine. You've made the decision, then you've got to stick to it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually fine with him not playing. You've drawn a line in the sand. You've said, actually, as a sport... We want to be inclusive. And that's cool. I agree with that. You know, in the other thing is too, reaching out to Israel Folau, I mean, and that depends on him. Can't they make it conditional? We'd like you to play, but, you know, you can undergo, you know, work with the gay and lesbian community. Or they can add that if he really wants to get back in the NRL as well. Like as an education component. I, I honestly wouldn't register him. And the fact that he's paying him 250 grand a year to sit there and do nothing. And then it came out that Cattle and Dragon still holds his contract in the rugby league. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Clive so, Palmer's taking everyone to court. Don't worry about it. Clive, Clive Palmer. Clive. I mean, you know what you don't do? When you when you go to court, when you go to court and you go to court quite often, yeah, do, you, do you ever think to yourself, I'll bring Clive Palmer in as a character reference? <laughs> do you ever think that might help? No, but it might work. I've got to bring him in. It seems to work. Oh, my God. All right. So, Joseph Suwali also made yes. his debut this week. We'll cover it in the Easts game. Finally. Okay would be the way I'd describe him. But he's, he's yeah. tall, strong. He looks the part, doesn't he? He looks the I mean, he's 17 and you look at the size of him in comparison to mature men that have been training to play first grade. He definitely looks the part. But he was he was okay. But first game, he's 17. I mean, you know. Um, the one thing that did I did want to mention about I've that got a, I've got a list of 100 things here. So. Joseph Suwali? Yes. I read an article about why he went to the Roosters. I read the same article. This smells exactly like the whole Roosters PR machine over the last 20 years. Correct. Where he's been offered $500,000 to pay for South, but 
has decided due to Trent Robinson and Nick Pelini's his... Can you say Brayton Asta? Yeah, he's decided to um, turn down that opportunity due to Trent Robinson and Nick Pelini's his fantastic human gestures and pay, play for apparently a pittance. So that's very noble of Joseph Suwali and incredible humanity shown by Nick Pelini's and um, Trent Robinson. And in spare time, he'll be um, washing Nick Politi's cars, just on, just to top it off. On the golf course, Nick Politi's does it on the golf course where he bets $10,000 a hole and miraculously loses. So can I just channel <laughs> he must be pretty bad. before he before yeah. he rings us up and, and has a go at us for about having a go at the Roosters? <laughs> that was all G. I just want to say that's all oh, G. Oh, thanks. So. This should be the G podcast since I'm taking all the barbs. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I mean, if you want it to be successful, you don't want to go down the path of the G podcast, right? <laughs> so, so, Katz, if you're listening, direct all your diatribe towards G. Thanks. I'll, I'll just block his number now because I'll be getting messages. One of my one of my favourite moments of the week, though, was the outrage about the sin binning and the head highs and it's ruining the game. And then the Emperor came out and gave an interview to the Daily oh, Telegraph where yeah, he, of course felt, he, did. He, he, he felt like he was being cyberbullied. <laughs> the, the Emperor was being you cyberbullied. You can't make this up. I you can't. cannot make this stuff up. You cannot make this up. Honestly, I didn't read that, but oh my god, I'm like stunned. Peter Valandis is being cyberbullied online because he just randomly decides to change rules without consulting with anyone. I don't know. Remember, he said the rules committee is agile, so maybe next week they can change. They're so agile they don't meet. He just does what oh, he wants. I can't believe that. I didn't read that, but that's that's honestly that's hilarious. I'm sorry. It's it's one of the best, right? It is absolutely one of the best. And he and he gave the interview and just just I feel sorry for him, right? No one wants to be cyberbullied. Having no. said that, if there's one bloke <laughs> that absolutely sets himself up for this. It's Peter Volandis. It's, it's the emperor. So he's taking on all the world, and as soon as he gets a little bit back on Twitter, he's he's um he's complaining. He's gonna, he's going to play the role of emperor in the new Star Wars movie. He as will. Well. Yeah, he will be. <laughs> According to this, all the players are going to be the force of good, and he's Correct. evil. They're going to be Ewoks. Um, but- the one thing I will say about all the send-offs and stuff, it's crazy. It is ruining some of the games. But God, it's fantastic drama, I've got to say. Honestly. Oh, the games were terrible this weekend. But oh, anyway. yeah. I- ironically, I reckon the Warriors-Tigers may have been the best game of the, <laughs> of the weekend. Yes, oh, we'll possibly. What a week. Tavita Pangai Jr. and Jermaine Osako met with Madge and the Tigers without the permission from the Broncos. <laughs> now, if you're going to meet... With a rival team, without permission from your club, wouldn't you do it more discreetly than rather than having the newspaper there? Oh, you know what? I'll tell you who you don't invite to the meeting. Peter Bedell. Yeah, Peter Bedell. Yeah, you wouldn't invite him, considering he's the Broncos' main reporter. Well, he's the chief rugby league writer for the newspaper up there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Just, and again, excellent intelligence shown by the players well i think tavita pangai jr showed he lacked a little bit last year with some of his um barber antics during COVID. correct he's got form he has got form if you have a story like that you got to go out and prove it on the field right you got to go up and you got to make up for it on the field and he certainly did that against the roosters this weekend so he did couple couple of other stories and i know one of them you definitely haven't heard so the first one you have joey leilua came out and gave an interview to the newspapers where he said i think i should play second row and then the next line was not that he wants to put any pressure on Madge for a position change <laughs> why the fuck did you give the interview <laughs> Joey I just got publicly a... publicly too yeah I just think 
you may not be going about this the right way, Joey. So if the newspaper's hearing about it before Madge, and then you go, I don't want to put any pressure on him. Is this just the Tigers all over? Like, this is sacking Benji through the paper first. Then he came out against the Warriors, and he was dreadful. I actually agree with him. He probably should be in the second row, because he's too big and too lazy to be on the... Yeah, in the the Super League. Yeah. Not in the NRL. He's not an NRL player. Anyway, let's not... We're going to cover the serious stuff. But just what a week. What a week. I've got I've got another story for you that you didn't. There was a rumour online. Yes. That a, a coach at Magic Round made an absolute dick of themselves. Did you read this? No, I didn't. Okay, so he threw a plate and abused staff because of the service and the quality of food at a five-star hotel in Brisbane. That must be Trent Barrett, surely. No, we're not naming the coaches. <laughs> we're not naming the coaches, but... but I, I do have a feeling who it is. It is a New South Wales-based team. Oh, yeah, that narrows it down. Yeah, it's only we're down to 14 of the 16 yeah, clubs. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's not the players, it's the coaches. This, this, coach, this coach apparently has quite an anger management issue off the field. You can almost have a look and guess who some of them are considering that. They were the eight stories that are just a regular week in rugby league. <laughs> what, did, what, did, what did you have? What did you No, I'm done. Week? That's all I had. I think the greatest thing was the um, Joseph Suwali PR spin by the Roosters through Danny Widler, and it's Indigenous Round this week, I think. Not that you'd know. Not that you'd know. The NRL's doing no promotion. Go Google Indigenous Round 2021 and see what comes up. Basically nothing. Why is there a picture of Belmore Car Park? Because I'm, I'm doing the PR myself. The NRL's been dreadful. It's actually dreadful that the, the PR they've done over Indigenous Round. And if you haven't, we're gonna we've got a segment at the end where we're, G's going to go through his favourite Indigenous Round jerseys. Yep, they're actually fantastic. I know we're going to talk about it at the end, but the jerseys this year look great. Oh, there they are. Some of them, except for the um, there's a, there's a couple that have just sort of inverted colours from last year with the same mailed design. it in. Yeah, they well, let's not say Penrith, <laughs> Penrith, but Penrith. Yep, Penrith like, mailed it in. Pen, Penrith, Penrith did not, <laughs> did not. <laughs> The design meeting didn't go for too long at Penrith. No. What do you reckon? Last year's was good. Okay, cool. Did we sell any? We've still got some left. Let's go with that. <laughs> I had to Google twice because I thought, shit, that looks exactly the same as last year's. <laughs> All right, let's move on to round 11. And the first game on the Thursday night was the Cowboys versus the Knights. The Cowboys got up 36-20. The Cowboys jumped out to an early lead, scoring three tries in the first 20 minutes, targeting the Knights' right-hand defence. The Knights then mounted a comeback as the Cowboys were reduced to 11 men with Termololo and Lachlan Burr Sinbin. And it was 16 all at half time, right? This was quite an up and down topsy turvy first half. Stafford Toa then scored for the Knights just after half time to make it 20 to 16 to the Knights. And that was all she wrote, really. After that, the Cowboys then stormed home with three unanswered tries again down the Knights' right edge. That right edge conceded five tries that night. They were just terrible. Tawalagi scoring a hat trick, so fantastic game for him. The game eventually finished 36-20 to the Cowboys, with the Cowboys outscoring the Knights 36-4 when it was 13 against 13, which is which is a sad indictment, really, on the Knights. The right edge for the Knights, as I mentioned earlier, with Simi Sasagi, Blake Green, Stafford Toa, and Tyson Frizzell, who's been playing dreadfully, was poor. Yeah, I mean, look, it was an exciting game in a way because there were a lot of points scored, but would I say it was a quality game? No. I think they were two average teams, and the Cowboys are finding their way 
after a slow start to the season. They're a little bit more um, cohesive. They've made, like we said, a few changes. The Javid Bowen change, I think, in the centres has really shored up their fringe defence a little bit. The combination of Drinkwater and um, Val-, Val Holmes is starting to really, you know, click into gear more and more What happens to Scotty Drinkwater next year? He's re-signed with them. I don't know. Don't know where he fits. Well, and a more hard-hitting analysis by G in the Rugby League. I mean, what do you do with him, right? Well, Jake Clifford's going. He'll go to the Knights in the next couple of weeks. Tommy Dearden's gone there. Chad Townsend, who's been playing amazingly well for the Sharks, who had a horrible game on the weekend and then kicked the field goal, and our media goes, Chad Townsend, what a great performance. He's been terrible for a number of weeks, but... That makes it interesting. I think Chad Townsend signed a big money deal. They've got to play him, though, with that money. Well, he, well, I would play Scotty Drinkwater and Tom Dearden. I absolutely would. I agree with you. I would put Dearden and um, Drinkwater. Scott Drinkwater's terrible in defence. He has been. He's been dreadful this year in defence. But Chad Townsend's been worse. Chad Townsend's worse. Scotty Drinkwater is still really adjusting to first grade and getting an extended run. I mean, you could play Scotty Drinkwater at full, fullback, but then what do you do with Val Holmes? He's been playing out of his skin. He's getting better each week. Their combination's really working. I don't think I had any issues with the two sin bins. They were both sort of, I guess, forcefully attacking the head in some ways. I thought the Knights, when they started to actually play a little bit of football through the middle of the ruck, they kind of caught the Cowboys out a little bit. But it was, gee, it was against 11 men. There was space. I know, there was They space. lost the game 36-4 to when it was 13-on-13. 13 13. Like, was, was... The injuries have really killed their season because they've got a lot of experienced guys, but then they don't have those guys in the middle that are young but have played a little bit of first grade. They've kind of got all rookies playing and they're they're trying to sort of find their way in first grade. There's there's too much of a gap between the two. They've got talent. Like Inari Tuala, I really like. I think he's he, he's got a lot of talent. He's just in a struggling team at the moment. You see flashes from the Knights as a result. Gee, that right right edge for the Knights was terrible. You don't have to watch the whole game. Just watch the tries and you'll see five of the seven tries are down that side. Bad reads, missed tackles, the whole lot. And Tyson Frizzell's meant to be the leader on the right edge, and he's been woeful. He, at the Dragons, defensively struggled at times, right? But the thing is, I think there's too many changes. There's too much shuffling all the time. They don't have... I think the Knights are gone. Yeah, they are. And they don't have a settled combination and a trust in defense, like you say. So the reads are all over the place. I find their defense is always scrambling. They're just all, they're not cohesive. They're all over the place. You know, and a bit of bad luck with a couple of towards the end after they made a comeback with a, a couple of bombs and then the drop for Condon to score. But the Cowboys are just, they're clicking together and getting better each week. I think their attack's starting to really come along. And like you said, Val Holmes is playing better. Drinkwater's settling in more. Defensively, they're a little bit better. They're, they're more mobile on the fringe. And they're looking like, you know, one of the teams that are the best of the rest, to be honest. They're, they're sort of really starting to hit a bit of form. It'd take a minor miracle for it not to be a Panthers-Melbourne grand final. Oh, yeah, of course. Nathan Cleary would have to get hurt. Everyone would have to get hurt. But even with Melbourne, I mean, they, they we'll go through their game. They were missing so many players and still managed to... It's like to their reserve team. Correct. Okay. Cowboys getting getting better each week, T, and um, they probably will make the eight. They look like they're one of the best teams left. Brilliant. Well, where did you have them when you, were, when you only had 15 teams in the comp? Not very high. Can we move on about that? So let's move on to the to the first game on the Friday night, which was the Warriors versus Tigers, which I thought actually may have been the game of the round. Whilst the Sharks-Dragons game was close, I thought the football was actually terrible. So the Warriors got up 30-26, to 26, and the Tigers looked solid from the start. And other than a Tommy Talao drop ball, had the better of the first 20 minutes, with Luke Gardner getting an early double down the Warriors' right, targeting the space in between Nikarima and Ewan Aitken. So it was clear that they were standing a little bit too far apart, and they were running through the gap. So that's a technically defensive area that they need to fix. 
The Tigers went up 10-4. RTS playing on the right absolutely put the most beautiful footwork to beat Joey Lailua. If you haven't seen this, go have a look. He he basically beat him standing still. Yeah, yeah, he did. He could get changed in a phone box. He could put that step on in a phone box. That's how good RTS was. It was a brilliant step. It was unbelievable. He beat him all ends up and then set up Murchie with a brilliant ball to make it 10-all. Dane Laurie then dropped the ball coming out from his own end, and Reese Walsh set up RTS with a beautiful pass left to right. Um, Tommy Talau was completely out of his depth in defence. All night he was out of his depth. Tommy is not his dad in defence, I'll tell you that much. Well, I didn't think he was that good in attack either. No, Willie Talau was a fantastic defender. Willie Talau was good, but Tommy, got to go back to reserve grade for a while. There's a few players in this Tigers team that's not not first grade quality, right? Including Joey Leilua. Talau then made an error with two minutes left in the half, and Reese Walsh then went through the gap on the Tigers' left side. The size of the gap was the size of the harbour. <laughs> and if you have a look, if you actually have a look... This is how disorganised they are. Joey Leilua went in and Tommy Talau went slid. So Joey Leilua went up and in and Tommy Talau slid. That's how big... Imagine that gap. That's the gap that Reese Walsh went through. Joey Leilua probably told Tommy Talau that oh, I'm going to slide out beforehand. Yeah, probably, and he decided against <laughs> He said, I'm a second roller now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And then it was 18-10 to the Warriors at halftime. The t- Tigers got the game back to 18-16 shortly, shortly after halftime. And then the Warriors got two players binned back-to-back. Uh, Murdoch, Masilla and, and, and Katoa. But the Tigers only scored four points during this time. They, they bottled it. They, didn't, they played risk-free football. When they exactly. needed to try and punch a hole in the defence and go wide, right? They tried. Yep. They, they just tried to t- eat up metres and they kicked two penalty goals and killed the time and they were up 2018. They played the field position game. They played the field position attacking. when they had the numerical advantage and that's what did them in in the end. In the last 10 minutes with the Warriors down to 12 men, they scored two tries. They just find new ways to bomb games. Dane Laurie's defensive positioning on both of those Warriors tries were terrible, and it was 30-20 to 20 with, with five minutes to go. For the 20 minutes with 12 men, the Warriors outscored the Tigers 12-4. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's just, it's not great, right? James Tamo scored with a minute and a half to go to make it 30-26 to 26 in a grandstand finish, and the Tigers then nearly produced an unbelievable finish. If Adam he catches that ball... He scores. Yeah, they should have scored at the end anyway. Like, they had a seven-man overlap and somehow their passes to get the ball over that side was so slow. If you look earlier in that t- set, all the passes are behind them. No one is... None of the passes are in front of them to move on to the ball. No, not into space. Just very poor, poor skill set. What do you say? I mean, the game was kind of exciting because of the back and forth, but I think by moving to the six has at least solidified some of their internal defense for the Tigers to some degree. They, Like you say, they lack creativity. I'm watching them play, and unless Dane Laurie is injecting himself into the game and playing off some of the forwards or the halves, they have nothing. Gee, Dane Laurie was atrocious in defense. And it wasn't it wasn't missed tackles, it was positioning. So he's a bit like, for me, he's a little bit like Jamal Fogarty. Yeah, he's got to give them three tries to net off the two that he's conceding. I think Dane Laurie is a really good instinctive footballer, but when you're small, and I love the small guys you've got to have something right and he's got great footwork and great instinct but he doesn't have that breakaway speed you notice like he makes an inroad for 20 30 meters and always gets kind of caught or run down having said that he's also really their key creator and danger person in attack but this is the problem for the tigers the tigers best attacking players are their worst defensively 
And this is why they keep conceding all these points. And they just go into their shell. They try to play this controlled game plan and it doesn't work. Well, ironically, I reckon the worst that was was when they were down to 12, when the Warriors were down to 12. The rest of the time they were okay, right? It was, for some reason, something in their heads clicked and they, they stopped playing footy. Really should have won that game. So the Warriors, the move from Reese Walsh to fullback, I think is fantastic in moving RTS to the wing. You can see RTS has lost a little bit of a step in a way, when he tries to run away from people, but he's still got that amazing sort of explosiveness and footwork, like you said, that, you know, that break he created was unbelievable in the past. He threw the ball into space, and Jack Murchie, well read. That's right. Cut it, cut around to the to the wing and actually hit the ball that was waiting for him in the air. But that's the that's the type of pass you've got to throw. They, you've got to throw the pass in front of them. The RTS try with Walsh, the long ball, and I love Reese Walsh. I don't understand how this guy was under the radar to some degree. And I've read about the Broncos complaining that he, you know, he he got poached. It's utter bullshit because the guy's good enough to be in their first grade team. They obviously thought they'd want Asako because he's small. Reese Walsh wanted to go to the Warriors because of Nick Polites and oh, of course, Trent yes, Robinson. that's right. I forgot about that. You know, but how can you let that guy go? Like the first time we even saw him play, you could just see his talent, his his vision, and you know what I love about Reese Walsh T. He's a great he. He's not scared. Like the pass where he gave or he dummied through, went underneath, I think it was Leilura Talao and then Nofaluma and then threw the ball sort of around him to Montoya was brilliant. One thing with the Warriors is that when they're all on song, they can be really dangerous. The problem is they lack conditioning. Like they're forwards, some of them are quite fat and they leave gaps in the middle of the field. Who are you talking about? Oh, Ben Murdoch, Masilla. They're like, yeah, he's going to score his fourth try of the week. Yeah, but he might let in five because... Yeah. People are running through them. He's better than Andrew Fafita. Jack Murchie, though, is really coming along, I think, which is excellent. Walsh, Nikarima, Harris Tavita, RTS. I mean, that's an explosive, dangerous team. And Wade Egan's not too bad from Hooker either. So, uh, look, a good win. But, again, the Tigers, they're, they're struggling. They're, they're, they're all over the place. Oh, mate, I don't know what I'm getting with Tigers. I don't know what I'm getting. I tipped them after saying I wasn't going to tip them again for the rest of the season. I tipped the Warriors, actually. So um, I was tempted to tip the Tigers, but then with the moves the Warriors made, I just thought, no, you know what? They're too dangerous. But with the Warriors, if they can sort out some of the conditioning in their forwards and they can go at an intense um, speed for 80 minutes, mate, they've got the attacking ability to worry some teams i'll tell you i guess they're another one that's kind of better than some of the crappier teams but really not that good a team fair enough all right we'll we'll move on to the friday night channel nine game the local derby the sharks versus the dragons the sharks got up 13 12 it's a terrible game of football even though it was tight it was a tight first half dragons hung in there i thought cronulla had the better field position connor tracy got the try for the sharks out. But what it made me realise was just what a big out for the Dragons Matt Dufty is, right? Yeah. I know they only had 43% of the ball in the first half and they hung in there, but Matt Dufty plays in this game. They win this game comfortably. That's how big a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. He's, I... the, he's the difference between winning and losing on the night, right? They had nothing like in attack. Even with Cody Ramsey, who's quite fast, they just... There was nothing well, He's happening. not a fullback, right? He's a makeshift fullback, no. really. So, Hiroti on halftime got sent to the bin for the Sharks after a shot on Ramsey when he was clear in the backfield. I think if that had been any other week... Send off? Yes, to be consistent. Yeah. He hit, hit him pretty hard. He hit him pretty hard and high. I thought it was a send-off. And so he only got 10 minutes. This is where the inconsistency is a bit of a problem. And Corey Norman kicked the penalty to make it 6-2 at halftime. Corey Norman did have a shocker later on with his kicking, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> the, the Dragons scored early in the second half with the Sharks down to 12 to make it 6-all. Cody Ramsey also failed his HIA, so they lost the player and Hiroti came back on, right? 
yeah. um, leading to the it led to a Saints backline reshuffle. So um, that that wasn't helpful. Josh Dukin then was lucky to only be binned for a high shot. So he then got binned, and I thought he was lucky to only get binned. I thought that was probably a send-off as well. They could have easily been down to 11 men. Whilst he was off the field, both teams swapped tries to make it 12-10 to the Sharks. Jack Bird kicked a penalty with five minutes to go to make it 12-all, and then he dropped the ball with two minutes left, taking the ball up from his own line, and the Sharks set up for a field goal, which was charged down and regathered by Andrew McCulloch. Saints went up the other end and missed the field goal before Hiroti dropped the ball from the restart and Corey Norman on his second attempt, 20 metres in front. He came up with an attempt worse than his first. I mean, it was just, he did. We wasn't in the same postcode as the posts from 20 metres in front. We're watching the game, they're like, oh, we just missed that one, that was close. And then they show the replay. It's like, it was a cogra. It was in, it was in Brighton Beach. I mean, Jesus. They're probably falling asleep because the game was so shit and someone's nudged them and well, gone, Well, Bill Gould hey. kept saying what a great game it was. I'm going, are we watching the same game? No, we're not. It was terrible. So it, this led to Golden Point. The Dragons in a position to win, but instead of going for a field goal, ran the ball on the last. And again, this was Andrew McCulloch and Corey Norman. They didn't set the team up right. And Harati then made the break down the left. And Chad Townsend, who was terrible all night, won the game for the Sharks. And of course, in the paper the next day, it's, oh, Chad Townsend, what a player. And I thought Will Kennedy was superb for the Sharks. He's a very good player. Another one in your jockey mould. Uh, and I thought Ben Hunt, best performance in a little while as well. Yeah, look, I agree with you on Ben Hunt. I think, you know, he, he did break his leg. and it sounds he, was enthusiast- like, yeah. he was enthusiastic on the night. I thought he brought a lot of energy to the Sharks, uh, to the Dragons, sorry. You can kind of tell when Ben Hunt's confident. Like you say, he plays with a lot of energy and he buzzes around. So I feel like he's a confidence player. When his confidence is low, he, he sort of... I wouldn't say goes through the motions, but he doesn't seem to have the same energy or, or belief that he can impact the game, I feel. Like you, I thought the Sharks dominated really early, but their attack just was ordinary. They kind of didn't take advantage of anything. I think they lack a lot of pace, the Sharks. Players like Moylan, Dugan, they've lost a lot of pace. Like Moylan broke into the clear a few times and he couldn't, he was getting run down quite easily. I thought I thought Matt Moylan was okay though. Oh no, he played okay. Yeah, I think he's been playing okay. He hasn't been the liability in defence as, as much as previous weeks, and he's shown a bit in attack. He's been solid, and he's been creative. Creative, and he can step through the line, but you know what I mean, T? Like, when he's backing up and stuff and in space, they can't really get away anymore. I mean, they're old. They're, old. they're not young anymore, you know? Um, and I think that hampers the Sharks' attack a little bit. But Saints trying to grind their way into the game, they miss Dufty significantly. And I thought, you know, by trying to grind away, that then they try to take advantage of their one or two opportunities that they had through a set play. But in a way, then you're gambling on creating one or two opportunities in a half and hoping you take them. I mean, you need to create a lot more. I thought Cronulla should have won it in, in regards to how the game played out. I just didn't think, like, their attack was really, I suppose, had enough teeth. But if you're Anthony Griffin and you have those field goal attempts and then you run it on the last in golden point in that position, surely you're entitled to think to yourself, we should have won this game. They they might not have deserved it, but Saints should have won that game, right? I mean, if you- I don't think they deserve to win the game, but they should have won the game. The one thing that I was surprised about was okay, Corey Norman had the first attempt, but you've got Clune, you have Ben Hunt, everybody in the f- on the field knew that was going to Corey Norman, and instead yeah. it went to Corey Norman anyway, and they charged it down like pass it to somebody else. But yeah, but he was twenty meters out. I know I mean, it's but- quite a long distance. It's quite a long way, twenty meters. He didn't even have pressure. He took so long to take the drop out that they pressured him in the end. That's Corey Norman, Mr. Smooth, right? He's, he's always in slow motion. And then with the Sharks, I think, you know, when they had an opportunity to then spin the ball, they got away 
got a lucky in extra time and then basically attacked the Dragons and created enough field position for them to kick a pretty easy field goal. Well, it was a length of the field break, right? So if you can get a decent play of the ball, and they didn't want to go to the bin, so they let him up and game over. But yeah, ordinary game, mate. There was a few ordinary games. I, I Like I said, I think the Warriors-Tigers may have been the game of the round. I really got to see Will Kennedy... I know he's a youngster and he's Is kind your of next probably... word going to be nude? No. I think he's he's almost got to take control of the game from some of these veterans. I think he plays his role. But to be honest, without him, they've got nothing. So let's move on to the Super Saturday games. Now, I'm not going to give you grief on this, given the way my team performed on the weekend. But um, it is Bulldogs hour. Now, I wanted to put a play, place a bet on before this game for AJ Brimson to score, the tit- Titans to win, and the Titans to score more than 30+. plus. And then I forgot about it, and I had to go play my game of football, and I didn't put the bet on. And I would have, I would have won close to three hundred dollars. Oh, I would have won, I would have won three hundred dollars if I'd put the bet on. So I'm spewing about that. But on a positive, the Titans did get up thirty to twenty. The Titans jumped out to a comfortable lead through tries to AJ Brimson, Tino, and Philip Sami, wedged in between a Chris Smith try to lead eighteen six. Nick Kotrick then scored just before halftime to make it eighteen ten at the break. Jared Wallace then went over just after the break to make it twenty four ten. Much like the Bulldogs under Dean Paid, the Dogs only started to play footy after the game was lost and got two tries, one each to Meany and Luke Thompson to get the game back to 24-20 while Ben Firma was in the bin for the Titans. In the end, AJ Brimson iced the game and got a double before the end. For the Titans, I thought AJ Brimson's best game of the year because he hasn't been playing that well, but he was great on the weekend. Fotu Aika was superb up front. He's actually a great player. 188 metres, metres nine tackle busts, and Tino and Sami were also good. Tino ran for 152 and Sami for 259 metres. For the Dogs, I know you're going to hate this, but it may have been Nick Kotrick's best game of the season. It was Nick Kotrick's best game of the season. I thought Luke Thompson played well with the ball in hand. I think with the ball in hand, he's all right. With the ball in hand, he's okay. The problem is he looks like Davy Boy Smith from the British Bulldogs in that his biceps are bigger than the rest of his body and he can't yeah. tackle or you know, that's move who you side to like. side. Oh, of course. I look exactly no, King like Kong Bundy, it. I meant. Sorry. <laughs> King Kong Bundy, I need the black leotard. You are wearing a black leotard. Geez, I hope it's cold where you are. It is cold. There is some positives to come out of the game for, as a Bulldogs fan, but in terms of what winning are they? the game... What are they? I think Avarillo's playing a lot better. Oh, no, he's not. he's not. He's not playing well. Anything we did that was actually any good centred around his, him... After the game was lost. Of course, because Trent Barrett apparently put that down to fatigue. The debut of Aaron Shulp, he's one of the, I suppose, up-and-coming centres or backs that we have in the lower grades. He's got at least some pace. I think the Titans, it was a cakewalk. They blew us away early. And then and then, and then, then the game was over, yeah. They didn't rack up the 30 points straight away, but they were always ahead. They were, they were that little bit too good. Sione Katoa was directly responsible for gaps in four of the tries, and he's been like this all season. So He hasn't been great. He hasn't been great. I don't think he's a hooker anymore. He is not. He can't move laterally. He was responsible for Tanner Boyd skinning him in the first instance. He was responsible for the read where Tino went through the gap. He was responsible for the last try and falling off Fatuaika, and he was responsible for not shifting quick enough when Jared Wallace just got the ball one out and went straight over. Him, Luke Thompson and Dylan Napa are around every try that's scored. And if the coach can't see that, he's got a problem. Well, on a positive, it gets a bit easier for the Dogs this week with the Panthers. We look a lot better with Brad Dietz there. And when you watch the game... You can take that momentum into the Panthers game. We can. We definitely can. And Brad Dietz's service from dummy half is quicker as well. So I don't know what game Trent Barrett's watching, but it ain't what I'm watching. There's a couple of ridiculous calls in this game. The Jared Wallace 
obstruction. He read the play wrong and went in. Are you honestly saying the referees contributed to your loss? No, it's just some of the calls. I'm starting to get really frustrated with the obstruction rule in general. And I'll bring this up in another game as well. But Gerald Wallace read the play wrong, went in on the player and... Sure, but the rules are clear. Score. Well, no, because earlier in the year, that was a try. No, rules are clear. I disagree. Earlier in the year, that was a try because the player read the play wrong. But now it seems like if you touch when? anybody... When was it a try? Benji got pulled up for something. It's just... It's the rules are clear. I think they've gone to a black and white interpretation. No, I think I think they've been consistent. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying the interpretation's right, but I think it's been consistent. I think they've become more consistent, but I think it's ridiculous. And the head high with... Dylan Napa. I mean, Dylan Napa overreacted, but that was a that was not a symbian. That was a penalty. Oh, of course and not. And the report. whole we're diving, the two teams diving. No, I don't think Jared Wallace was diving. I think he got smacked around the chops and went down, but it wasn't. It was like a tap. It wasn't direct, deliberate, hard contact with the head, which seemed to be the new sinbinning interpretation. Joey Manu did it about ten times and didn't get sinbin once. So yeah, but I think they had their own problems. The Roosters doing. Oh yeah, I know. Just lazy play by the, the forwards. And I, I don't know what to make of this. The Titans' defense looked better, but I think it's because the Bulldogs' attack is so shit. So it's hard to take much out of the Titans' defense in this game. And the Titans were just a little bit too, way too good. They, they were always ahead. AJ Brimson, like you said, upped his involvement. But sadly, as a Dogs fan, what does this mean for the Titans? I don't know because the Dogs are so ordinary. I still think they've got a lot of fitness issues, but... They won, they won the game, and that's what they needed to do, and they, they remain in the eight. It's a game they had to win. They won it. If it's played AJ Brimson back into a bit of form, that might be good for them. All right, if we move on to the next game, and this was a this was a drama-filled game. The Roosters versus the Broncos. The Broncos ended up winning 34-16. It was the upset of the year, and I thank the Broncos for that because up until this moment, it was Saints beating Para. And can I just say, right off the bat, the Broncos deserve to win. They were the better team. I agree. Victor Radley lost his mind during this game and it was always going to happen to the Roosters. I loved it. Because they've got Jared Warrior Hargraves, they got Victor Radley, they do tackle high and they do have hotheads in their team. So he got sighted four times and he spent 20 minutes in the bin. As a result, the Roosters played with 12 for 60 minutes. I will also say that Sam Walker also got a little bit down to earth in this game. Um, he, yeah. he had a poor game in attack and defence. And yes. Tavita Pangai Jr. really targeted him in the defensive line. And can I give Kevy some props? Because he actually switched Tavita Pangai's side to run at Sam Walker. He usually plays on the other side of the field. It was 16-14 to the Broncos at halftime after Sam Walker threw that intercept just before halftime. But it was still a 50-50 game at that point. Once they came out in the second half, the Broncos dominated the second half with David Mead picking up a hat-trick and Albert Kelly controlling things off the back of good field position. So first game in six years, he was okay, Albert Kelly. I still think the, the Broncos need a spine. Certainly they got Jermaine Ozarko there, but they do need long-term halves and a hooker. So next week, um, they've got Kerrod Walters is coming back after bringing back Albert <laughs> Kelly, That's is right. it? That's right. Greg Kineskew. It could be Sam Bacco in the second row. <laughs> Sam Bacco. The Broncos won the second half 18-2. Well done, Broncos. Can I just say one thing on the Roosters? Angus Crichton is playing out of his bloody skin on the Roosters' left edge. He was, again, superb. Superb. Yeah. He could be one of the form back rollers in the comp. He is, I think, best, year, best season of his career so far. Walk-in start to the, to the Origin team. Yep. And I just want to say one thing. The Broncos, this is unusual for the Broncos, the Broncos completed 39 out of 42 sets, and the Roosters only completed 25 out of 34. So what I want to ask you, yep. were the Broncos good or the Roosters poor? I actually thought it was 
was more the Broncos were good and played with a high energy, and there were a few things that went their way that I think then gave them the belief that they could win the game. I think because they were a young side and there's a lot of pressure, they're very um, volatile with their confidence sometimes during the game. And I felt there was a few things that went their way, and then they realized that, you know what, we could win the game. And some of the veterans stepped up and actually really solidified their team. I think Kelly made a big difference. But he had field position. He made a big difference playing behind a pack that was going forward. True T, but I also feel like Milford, he's, he floats in and out of the game, whereas I think Albert Kelly at least provided a constant presence and he challenged the line at times. So they had to play his running game a little bit more as well. I thought Dale Copley made them quite solid in defense on the wing, on the, in the centers. And Pangai was, you know, a couple of incredible plays and David Mead. Tavita Pangai Jr. was great. Tavita Pangai Jr., I know I spoke about it last week, but he is probably unique in terms of his physical attributes in the, in, in the competition. And he's actually been playing okay for them. I mean, I know he's young, right? He's going to have good and bad games, but he's very destructive. He's destructive. He's very, very agile, and he can get down low with someone like Fafita Khan. And he's got incredible skill with the ball and power as well, and pace. He's quite well-rounded. You just His head needs to be in the game the whole time. And I thought that Sam Walker floating pass, I think a lot of other wingers wouldn't have intercepted that, but Meade deliberately positioned himself and waited for it and took it and took off. What was great, David Meade in full flight, 32, and he still got ridiculous speed. And if any of you don't remember when he used to play on the, with the Titans and him on one wing and Kevin Gordon on the other, go YouTube some of their highlights when they were younger. Incredible pace. He, he added a little bit of that extra speed on the fringe. So when they created the space, he scored the try in the corner. The intercept, I think, turned the game. And I think the Roosters' lack of goal kicking in the first half kept the Broncos in a little bit. Like, instead of being 16-6 to or 18-6 to down, they were only 14-6 down. I think once they got that try at halftime, T, I think the Broncos thought, you know what, we can we can really win this game. Like, we haven't really been outplayed. That Sam Walker intercept was critical. And it was it was just, he's going to have games like that. He's 78 kilos. He's a kid. He's going. He's just, he's not He's not going to be Nathan Cleary straight away, right? It's going to happen. But um, great positioning again by me. And Tedesco, when they were behind at the start, just literally took over the game. He's been doing that quite a bit. He puts the team on his back. I mean, it's, it's the sign of a really great player, actually. I, I felt like he just sort of, okay, threw a couple of passes... Put well, it's the game, the game reading. And... He didn't have that younger in his earlier in his career. He kind of no. goes. He kind of goes. We need something here, and I'm going to do it. I agree with you, and I think it's the leadership on the field. It's recognizing this. Hey, we've dropped our intensity. We're looking a bit shaky here. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to do. I'm going to try and get a break or throw a pass or put a big hit on or get involved in the play. Right. So absolutely, and I think in the second half, like you said, the Broncos kind of really went on with it, and I think the Roosters still kind of attacked, but they kind of lost their mind a little bit, and also the Broncos defense was desperate and I think they stopped the Roosters a few times just on Radley I thought the first sim bidding was silly on Albert Kelly I didn't think that was a sim bidding at all he didn't hit the him one in the where head. he was in the air when he was kicking the ball yeah I mean oh, I thought it was a sim bid oh yeah, okay fair enough I didn't under the new rules I mean it wasn't a sin bidding four weeks ago under the new rules it's a sin bidding fair enough yeah. I, I thought that was a bit ridiculous his 10 minute stint for hitting Pangai I thought was va- valid I think that was a sin bidding but I mean how did Joe, Joey Manu not go to the sin bin according to what you've seen this week the inconsistency is becoming a little bit ridiculous it's inconsistent he hit one of the players pretty high and hard and it was like oh Joey keep him down one of them I agree was just an accidental hit but the second one was actually he hit him quite flush and I don't understand how he didn't go to the sin bin and Matt Lodge did Matt Lodge's hit on Victor Radley was essentially what Joey Manu did 
I agree with that. The inconsistency is a problem. It's the referees trying to even it all out, right? You know, and the Radley penalty when he hit Osaka was a farce. Tackled him around the shoulders. I agree with that. I agree with that. I thought that one was a bit harsh. What's he going to cop? He's, he looks like he's going to cop five or six weeks. He's going to miss Origin. I think he might. He's going to make his debut. Uh, you can see what makes Victor Radley so good. He's just so he imposes himself on the game physically and with the ball. But the, the Broncos, yeah, good win. And I think um, the other thing was um, I loved some of the back and forth between Radley and Matt Lodge and... Some of these it was good players. to see a bit of that. I shouldn't say field, that, but yeah. yeah, there was a little bit of like, come at me, come on, you know, a little bit of that physical challenge, which was great. It's but like our pod. It is, pretty much. Uh, bring, bring it on, T. Have you got someone tougher? I, I'm actually a new age new age person. I feel like I'm Tavita Pangai Jr. and you're Sam Walker. I'm more skill and creativity, and you're actually all just physicality. Very inconsistent, brute physical force. Occasionally go get a haircut. Um, but how they missed Asiata's pass to Palacia, that was forward by like three metres. Yeah, I think it's still travelling forward. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I know with the interpretation, things get a bit farcical with some of the send-offs, but that was about three metres forward, and they let it go. The problem, the problem is if the refs don't, or the touchies don't see it, the, the video ref can't rule on it. But the Roosters losing their cool. Quite easily, which I was actually surprised at. They kind of all lost the plot. Joey Manu lost the plot. Victor Radley lost the plot. It was emotional roosters. Good win, Broncos. Good win, Broncos. And what did you think about Joseph Suwali's debut? Okay, is the way I'd describe it. Okay. Yep. They're expecting a lot from him. I mean, this hype around him, you know, it wasn't fair on the kid. Look, I think he'll be good, but I mean, he was okay. Is the way I describe it. He did what he had to do. He's defensively sound. Made a couple of bad options in attack, but he's he's a seventeen year old kid, right? He's gonna you're gonna get that. I agree with you. I actually think like he was solid. Did okay. He's seventeen years old. I mean, what what else do you really expect? He's physically talented and athletic. What I found is, and it might be because he hasn't really fully trained and built his body up and gotten more explosive, is he, he kind of didn't quite have that sheer pace. Like, he could kind of get through and he could step past somebody. He wasn't in clear space either. But he would get caught, right? And I think if that's the case and he gets a little bit slower, as a lot of these players do as they grow into their bodies, it'll be interesting. I can't believe you are having a go at Joseph Suwali physically, who was 197 centimetres. And 93 kilos or something. Lean, no fat on him at all. And you're having a go at his pace and his physicality. I've seen you run. We're moving on to the Storm versus the Raiders. All right, the Raiders versus the Storm after that. So the Raiders got done in this one. Storm got up 34-10. Melbourne were without Pappenheisen, Cam Munster, Jerome Hughes and Harry Grant playing against the 2019 (laughs) Grand Finalists and killed them. Uh, Admittedly, the Raiders were missing Whiten, Josh Hodgson, Rapana, and Papali. But what it just showed, again, is the Storm system is too good and the depth they've got in their recruiting and the role they asked them to play, just too bloody good. So the Raiders had, they couldn't recover from White and Hodgson, Rapana, and Papali being out, but the Storm had all those, all their spine out, basically. The Raiders started well and were leading 10-0 after 33 minutes, but conceded 34 points in 47 minutes. Um, in fact, they were down 10-12 at halftime and lost the second half 22-0. Nico Hines and Big Nelson of Sofa Solomon was superb. And, and I want to shout out to Chris Lewis and Cooper Johns, who, who played well in the halves. I mean, they, it wasn't their first choice halves, but I thought they did a really good job. The Raiders are in 11th now with four wins in 11, and up against the Roosters this week. I, I think it's a long road back for the Raiders from here. They're going to struggle. And I was saying about the Cowboys, if I look at the Cowboys and the Raiders, the Cowboys are playing a lot better. And Manly seems to have taken the Raiders' spot in that top six. You know what? They're in real danger of missing the eight, to be honest. For me, Curtis Scott, 
was on fire. Well, he's playing against his old team. Yeah, you could you could tell. I thought Valame did a really good job defending Adokar, actually. It sounds weird when you're losing by 30 points, but he kind of nullified him quite a bit. How much of that is reading into the 33 minutes where they actually started the game well? Because I reckon once they got the once they got the first try, it was it was one way traffic the rest of the game. My notes were pretty much that I thought Canberra played pretty well and hung in the game, and they were kind of attacked a little bit at the start. And I thought the Storm tried to go around the Raiders a little bit. Nico Hines was playing a little bit sideways as the game wore on. Nico Hines started to straighten his play up a little bit and gave his outside players a little bit more space to move. He's, he's a fantastic player. He's very smooth in the way he moves. He'll probably end up staying at the Storm, but I mean, there are some teams that could really do with Nico. Yeah. Yeah, out there. just about everybody. And I think once he started to straighten the his game up a little bit, all the other players came into place and they started to just carve them apart. No, the Bulldogs can't have Nico Hines either, by the way, because you've got Corey Allen. Of course. Um, far better player. Played State of Origin, remember? He did. He did play State of Origin. Because he played he for the Rabbitohs. That's the only reason. The Ryan Sutton obstruction was a farce. The, the play went for another two minutes and he was just hugging Nelson Salamona and waiting for the penalty. That's where I think it's gotten a little bit too far. I know, I know what you're saying. You're saying they shouldn't be obstruction. That those no. types of plays shouldn't be obstruction. And I understand that. But what I'm saying back to you is they're applying the rules consistently. I'm not disagreeing with that shouldn't be an obstruction. But what I'm saying is the interpretation is black and white and they're policing it black and white. I actually think it makes the game more rigid when you police it that way. I agree with you that it's consistent, fine. But I thought Chris Lewis also hampered. He played well, but he hampered the Storm's attack a little bit because he's a little bit slower. He's a little bit more methodical. He's not a, you know, a, a pure 5'8" in terms of Munster or anything like that. did a great job, but you could see that it took a while for the Storm to adjust to with him and Hines. If he got a run of games in, there's no reason why they couldn't turn him into Jerome Hughes. Oh, it wouldn't surprise That type me. of player, right? Yeah. And Cooper Johns as well. Cooper Johns was the one always looking to do the pass. He was meant to... He brought a bit more of the creativity to the halves pairing. So I just think, you know, um, it took him a while to adjust to that. You didn't even know who Cooper Johns was 18 months no. ago. No. The funny thing is, it's like their third choice Haas because Riley Jacks was missing, and it, it's it's unbelievable actually. And you've got Kyle Flanagan and Jake Avarillo. Yes, of course. I thought the Raiders tried hard, but they just they did, they did, they they, did they weren't hard. good enough, right? Watching these games, we're going to go on to the games on Sunday because they were really telling. I'm now at a point where I think only two teams can win this. Like that from the beginning for me, they were on a different level. But Remus Smith, how about the try from Remus Smith? Oh, he wasn't doing that for the dogs. Craig Bellamy's done it again with Remus Smith. How much better than Brenko Lee is he? Oh, he's heaps better. He's actually made... Here's the interesting thing. The Panthers and the Storm, probably by accident, have actually gotten better by recruiting Remus Smith. And also we'll talk about Matt Burden um, in the centres, which I think has made the Panthers an infinitely better side. So, but I mean, Remus is coming from deep... Power, speed, acceleration. I mean, playing with an intensity for 80 minutes, to me, it shows the development and the training that the Storm give to their players and how they take them to a different level. And the last try I actually loved, Trent Liero's try, his first try in first grade. That guy was never going to pass that ball to anybody. No, and everyone (laughs) came to celebrate with him. It was great. Honestly, what's their second choice team practically? And they were way too good for the Raiders. Unbelievable. Bodes well for the comp. All right, we move on to the Sunday games. First one was Souths versus Panthers at Dubbo. I was looking forward to this game up until kickoff. (laughs) The Panthers won this 56-12. This game was over after kickoff. Souths' defensive frailties laid to bear in Dubbo as the Panthers dominated from beginning to end in a nine tries to two romp. Yep. It was 30-6 at halftime. 
and the Panthers won the second half 26-6. So it's not like South's had any redeeming qualities in the second half either. Nathan Cleary was again magnificent, scored 28 points to extend his lead over the Bulldogs team in points scored this season. Um, and, and can I just say, this is going to be sacrilege for a lot of... He is playing as good as Joey ever did. Oh, dude, his, uh, his game at the moment is incredible. These last week and this week is right up there with Joey's state of origin performances and some of the right up there. I think what I'm seeing from the Panthers is essentially some of these, you know, when we grew up, you had a little bit more expansive footy. You're seeing them play that style of footy with players that are now bigger, faster, athletic. Oh, yeah. You're seeing them go long, short, running, dummying, linking up the halves, the centers. It's They're just blowing teams away. I mean... I thought Crichton played a little bit better at fullback this week. First performance at fullback where he actually looked half decent. The move of Liam Martin to prop was interesting. Gave them a little bit more mobility in the middle as Plays well. Plays through the middle, right? So can I just say, Matt Matt Burton got a hat-trick. Uh, and I, th- I would pick him in state of origin. Absolutely. I, I think he's better than Jack White. And he's playing a lot better than Jack White. And Jack, he is. I, I don't know why you wouldn't pick Matt Burton. And I think Luai outpointed Cody Walker as well. I think, I think it's Nathan Cleary, Luai. I think... I think a lot of this team now selects itself. This Panthers team is playing out of his skin. You can technically argue that this Panthers team could be the state of origin backline. Could be, could be. Uh, except some of them aren't New South Welshmen, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. South. <laughs> South's more hard-hitting research by G. Victoria. Victoria and Tasmania. South's second game in the last few few weeks, conceding 50. They are very poor defensively. Got asked after the game, Wayne Bennett said, why he didn't play Benji Marshall. Wayne Bennett pointed out that Benji wasn't going to help on that end, and he didn't want to embarrass him because he's not known for his great de- defence, which is 100% true. They would have conceded 70 if Benji had made it onto the field. One change they did make, which I thought was interesting, is moving Campbell Graham into the centres. And we spoke about him against the Titans, where the Titans spread the ball wide early and actually pulled South's defence apart and created space. The difference is the Panthers did it, and the Panthers are a far better team. Well, And Souths concede points, G. They've been outscoring teams. They're, they're a bit like the Titans. Not as bad as the Titans defensively, but they have been conceding a, you know, a lot of points, the, yeah. the Souths. I remember we were talking about in terms of the way South defends as well. They don't have outright pace. They're fast enough over 30 or 40 yards. But once you pierce their defense, they struggle, right? Especially against a good side. For me, Burden in the centers has been... I wonder if that's his position. The way he reads the game and cuts inside and plays off Luai is phenomenal. I agree with you. I actually agree with you. You know what I mean? T cuts inside and on the right angles to run through the gaps. He runs the right lines. He's got enough pace and power to run through a gap. I agree with you. And I think Trent Barrett's... I'm um, Trent Barrett. Ivan Cleary said something similar. Let me give you the defensive problems at the Bunnies, okay? Yep. 56 points this week. 22 points last week against the Sharks. 50 points against the Storm. 20 points against the Raiders and 30 points against the Titans. Not very good. It's not It's it's not great at all, buddy. It's not great at all. I think Capewell has really made the Panthers better in, in attack as well on the right fringe because Liam Martin ran straight lines, but Capewell can step inside or step outside. He's got a little bit more pace. I think the Liam, what Liam Martin gives you is a bit of an offload. And just the way they were playing, I mean... They were great. They remind me very much of those... You know, and so is Melbourne of those Bob Fulton Manny sides defensively in that you've got to play through them. You've got to offload. You've got to back up forwards. I don't think you can get around them. I think what you'll find is, and Nathan Cleary basically said this after the game, is they get the weight of possession. It's like Manchester City in the EPL. The reason teams can't score against them is because they've got the ball 80% of the time. Oh, yeah. They keep on coming at you too. Yeah, they've got all the field position, all the ball. They don't drop the ball. When they do drop the ball, they're aggressive in defense to get it back. That's that's why no one's tiring them out at that end. I mean, what a performance, right? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, Souths are gone too. 
Sounds a good too. Next, tune in next week where we badmouth the NRL and give you our preview of the ice hockey. Correct. Latrell Mitchell, you look at the difference. You look at a Crichton, who's like a Mitchell or a someone like that. Look how lean and they are. And you look at Latrell and all these other players carrying a few extra kilos, mate. You've got to get fitter to compete with the, the Melbournes and the Penriths. I agree. The last game of this round was the Eels versus Manly. Manly got up 28-6. And so now we'll move on to our round 12 preview. Go back. I'll do the game. I'll do the game. All right. I was nervous about this game. You picked Manly. And it proved to be correct as Manly dominated the game. And I'm On sure... On fire. And they didn't even fire up the Turbo Saab this week. It was just the Turbo. We're only going to have to hear this for another 12 weeks in finals. So The Saab was in the garage for most of this game. He was. He was because they dominated down the other edge. I know. It was the Turbo Garrick. That's a new car. He was parking the car in the Wonga Blake garage. <laughs> and... <laughs> Poor Wonga Blake as well. Like, well, I'm going to get to it. He struggles with someone running straight at him, but when they're coming with numbers and Tommy Turbos and stuff, he's got no chance, poor guy. I'm going to get to it. They did honour Bozo's memory a lot better than the, the Tigers honoured the passing of Tommy. That's how you come out for one of your club legends. Um, I thought Josh Schuster, a para-junior, was fantastic yep. in the half. Very Much good. better. I told you he was a half. I told you he was a half. I still reckon because of his body shape and size, he's a great floating lock, ball-playing lock in the pitchy mould, outside another ball player, but he did a great job. Great, He's got great ball skills and great vision. It's going to be hard for Kieran Foran to get back in that team. Does he ever look when he passes the ball, or is it like the no-look pass, <laughs> his standard pass? Well, it might, could be one of the things that the juniors do, right? So, yeah. Para didn't match Manly's energy. I mean, Manly were up 16-6 at halftime. In defence, we were sloppy through the ruck, I thought, as well, and the middle of the field with Cherry Evans and Tommy combining several times to cut through us. Para welcome back Wonga Blake and now should say goodbye to him as well, who was dreadful. Shouldn't be picked at right centre anymore. Bring back Neocore is what I've got written here. Poor Wonga Blake. I mean, Blake Ferguson's not going to be there next year. And I, and I think if they can get a release for Wonga Blake, they should get a release for Wonga Blake as well. You're better off playing a second rower there. It's just He's just too much of a liability in defence. Manly won the second half 12-0 and now have won six out of their seven Six out of their last seven games. Well done, Manly. Well deserved. You deserve to win that game. I think um, I probably were a little bit more complimentary of Parra. I think the Wonga Blake thing was a big issue. Really? Really? You thought Wonga Blake was a big issue? I'm glad you actually watched the game. I did, and I was loving that game. I was almost a Manly fan, believe it or not. He made Joey Leilua and Tommy Talao look like a defensive dynamo. I thought Parra didn't... We're kind of there energetically. I just think Manly... They don't Did have you, I, didn't think, I thought our energy levels were low. Did you think it was high? Oh, not high. I wouldn't say high, but... Para's at its best, as Brad Arthur said, when we're looking for the contact, when we're enthusiastic into the contact. We want the, we want the fight. You know, and you've got Nathan Brown there and, and the guys through the middle, and I just I just thought we were missing a bit of that. I think they were missing a little bit of that. I think you were right. I thought Sean Kepi and some of the Manly Forge really stood up in that area. They did? They did? I think for Manly, I think Morgan Harper... We talk about Morgan Harper, but he's really solidified their weakness in defence. 100%. How much better is he at right centre? Oh, it's not that he's the fastest guy in the world, but he makes, like you say, the right reads. He's always there. He's a good decision maker. So I thought Parra were trying to attack that, but in general... And Unless, you know, when Gutherson scored a great try at the start where Papali'i drew two defenders and gave a great offload great to, offload. to Gutherson. Great offload. It was a brilliant, that was a great try, actually. Yeah. I thought that outside of that, he doesn't he, he makes the right decisions and he doesn't get Jason Saab isolated so much or allow him to be as isolated. So their weakness, like we were saying earlier in the year, is kind of gone. And Cherry Evans is defending better as a result as well because he can kind of trust him, right? And Cherry Evans has been good. Like, since Tommy's come back into the team, he's been great. Well, Tommy Turbo 
you know, only flashed the turbo a little bit here and there, especially when Wonga Blake went inside and he went through the gap. And I thought Para weren't too bad. I thought defensively, you're kind of a bit harsh. I thought Manly threw a lot at them and Para held fairly fairly well until towards the end. But I thought Tommy Turbo was, was brilliant. He did the hard yards. He made a lot of tough runs and gutted out meters as well as also floating around the back and throwing cutout balls and passes to put Brad Parker and Garrick um, through. And I thought Garrick was um, sensational. He, his confidence was skyrocketing through the game. Chip and chase and the try to Parker was, was an unbelievably great try. And he almost scored the try of the season towards the back end of the half when they were up 22-6, where he stepped in four or five guys and, and put the chip through the middle and nearly regathered and scored with a better bounce. He would have scored. Although Manly were just a little bit too good in attack, and I didn't think the Eels could match them. T, it'll be interesting to see what your thoughts are on Moses. I thought Moses took too much of a back seat at times and tried to, again, just pass and zing the ball. And I don't think he attacked with his run as much as he did in the weeks before. I thought Paro played a little bit more conservatively, a little bit more controlled. And I don't think that that helped. Manly, sensational. I loved it. Okay, great. Manly supporter, G. Thank you, G. Congratulations, Manly. You don't want to talk about this. I love it. It's like, get out of here. I don't want to talk about this. Hey, man, we've got Brad Arthur just rang. He said, fuck you. So let's move on to round 12. (laughs) The preview of round 12. First up on the Thursday night, you've got the the Broncos versus the Storm. The Broncos are $7 outsiders. The Storm are $1.10 favourites. The Broncos have an 18 and a half point start. The Broncos were willing last week. Uh, they are at home. They've won two out of their last three games, two or four games. But uh, you know the Storm are going to win this. Oh, I don't think there's an issue here. I don't think the Storm will let them off the hook the way that the Roosters did. They won't lose their minds. They just blew away the Raiders, who are, I suppose, a more solid team than the Broncos. I think the Broncos might hang in a little bit, T. I think they will too. I think they will too. Because remember, the Roosters have a good defense. They do. And I think they're playing with a little bit more confidence. The Broncos have had a couple of wins. Yeah, like, I mean, they're 15th. But it sounds sounds weird to say, but they've improved from last year. They have. And thank God for the Bulldogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. If you look at the Broncos, they're 15th, right? The Dogs are 16th. And it's like, you're talking about a world away. Correct. This is what I'm saying to you. You keep going on about Trent Barrett. It's your players. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it'll be closer than I think. I think so too. I think the Storm will only win by 20 points. You know what? Strangely this year, that's actually a close game. It is. I know. I know. It's just, it's been terrible. The footy's been terrible. Anyway, the Friday night game, the early kickoff is the Cowboys versus the Warriors up in North Queensland. The Cowboys are $1.95 outsiders. The Warriors are $1.85 favourites and the Cowboys have one and a half point start. Mm. I think the Cowboys will get this. They're They're playing at home. It's a night game. They play better at home at night. The Warriors have to travel and these teams are very similar. Insofar as they try and play conservatively, but when they actually throw the ball around a bit, they're actually better. I think it's a good summation. I think that's very accurate. I think the I think Todd Payton's going to give the Cowboys more freedom than, than Nathan Brown will give the Warriors. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the, I'm tipping the Cowboys as a result because I, I even though the Warriors, I think, have a lot of strike power, I don't think they'll play that way, like you say, until they're probably a little bit too far behind. I think the Cowboys are starting to click into gear in in attack. They've got, you know, a couple of players playing pretty well and Drinkwater and Val Holmes are sort of starting to to link up better. And I think um, you're starting to see a little bit of differentiation in Jason Talmololo's play. Like, I know it's slow-mo at the moment, but he's passing before the line and running and offloading. Traditionally, he hasn't really done that for a number of years. So, And it is Indigenous round. The Cowboys are representing the Wulguru Kaba people, according to NRL.com and... The Warriors are Aotearoa um, people. So I think it'll be close, but 
Cowboys at home, too good this week. All right, and we move on to the uh, Friday night blockbuster for Channel 9. <laughs> of course, yeah. That is the Tigers versus Dragons. The Tigers are $1.52 favourites. The Dragons are $2.55 outsiders and have five and a half point start. I would have more chance and more view on this game than if you told me the Newtown Jets were playing the North Sydney Bears. That would actually be easier to pick than this game because I have absolutely I have no zero idea which idea. version of the Tigers or the Dragons are going to show up in this game. If I see the Dragons last week, like you say, they could have snuck a win, but they were terrible. And the Tigers probably should have won, but they were terrible too. So I've got no idea. I really don't. Except the Tigers are representing the Darawal and the Eora nations, and the Dragons are the Darawal and the Yuin nations this week for Indigenous Round. So who? Are you? So we got no tip on this one. Draw. Can we pick a draw? Uh, if I'm betting, I take the two dollars fifty-five on the Dragons because I think it'll be a close game. For my tipping, though, I'm not sure. If I was betting, I like the $2.55 over the $1.52. I'm probably going to tip the Dragons, but for me it will depend if Norman goes to fullback and he moves Adam Clooney, because I think when Adam Clooney's playing and he's got a little bit of free run, the Dragons look a little bit better for me. So I'm probably going to go the Dragons. Okay. So we move on to the Super Saturday. And oh, I've got my news God. For you. Have, you look at, have you looked at the odds for this? Yes, I have. This is the shortest <laughs> oh price favourites in the history of yeah. betting in the NRL. Yeah. I would just look at it now one. and thought, what? A dollar one is the yeah. Panthers' favourites. The longest odds to win the game in the history of the NRL, $19 for the Bulldogs. The biggest start in the history of the NRL, 31 and a half point start for the Bulldogs. I think after all that, you're tipping the Bulldogs, right? <laughs> the Panthers are representing the Darug people and the Bulldogs are representing the Bidjigal and Bediagol people. That's all I have to say about this game other than those odds are absolutely incredible. They put 56 points on Souths. What will they put on the Bulldogs? Oh, I don't think it'll get higher than 56 because there's a mercy rule in play, isn't there? This is the this is exactly one of the games where I talked about where the fans should storm the field and actually get the game called off. <gasps> That's a good idea. Good idea. 30 nil. Think about it. If you actually lose by forfeit, you'd lose the bet to... <laughs> You don't you don't cover the line. No, you don't cover the line. So to all any Bulldogs fans out there, just storm the field, get a forfeit, and um, the dogs will be ahead. I can't see the Panthers losing by anything. If they have twelve send offs, this game will be close. No, you only need five send offs. So I think the best thing is to try and get five players sent off, and then you. I think if it's under nine, you've got a forfeit. So I mean, isn't the para over the Cronulla Sharks the recent record seventy six points to four or something? T, can you believe this? At the start is thirty plus, and I'm almost certain that the Panthers will cover that. The interest rates are low because of the global pandemic. They're at zero, and this is only marginally above that. I think the Panthers will beat them by forty. I can't see the Dogs scoring a try. They'll score. Surely they'll score a try. I don't know if they will, and I think if the Panthers really go for it these 80 minutes, and the last two weeks they seem to have put their foot down a little bit, I reckon you're going to have 50. I, if this gets to 60 or 70, I wouldn't show up for next week's pod after the shellacking you've given me over the Manly Para game. Oh, you just cut that short. You didn't even let me have a go at you. You had six minutes. You had six minutes. I could have gone on about Tommy Turbo for, for hours. Oh, for hours about Tommy Turbo. I know. It's sick. All right. Let's move on to the next game, which yep. is um, Souths versus Para. Souths are $1.71 favourites. The game's at ANZ, and Para are $2.15 outsiders, and Para have a two-and-a-half-point start. I think Para will win this. I think Para will win this. I'm tipping Para. I have talked to you about that Para doesn't have outright speed in their side, but I don't think Souths is the team to necessarily trouble them. I think the Eels... 
defensively will match South. I mean, we have traditionally well. struggled last year. Back end of last year, we really struggled against South. So maybe the bookies are taking that into account. You, you did, because but Cody Walker. Yeah, Souths aren't playing with the same fluency. Yeah, yeah no, I don't think so. I think because of the shifts to fullback and five eight, they're probably lacking a little bit of that fluency at the moment. But honestly, I think the Eels Manly were great. I thought the Eels weren't that bad, but. I think Parramatta will win this game. I think they're a better side. Depends where Wonga Blake plays. If he plays in reserve grade, where's a chance of winning? Wonga Blake against South's left-hand attack. Oh, that's not going to be Actually, that is not a good combination. Actually, having said that, if Wonga Blake's playing on that wing and they've got Alex Johnson on the wing there, then Souths might run up a few with Cody Walker flying around that side. So Rabbitohs represent the Gadigal people and Parramatta is the Budamatagal people. Yes. Well played. So the last game of Super Saturday um, is the Roosters versus the Raiders, and this game's being played at the Central Coast. The Roosters are $1.28 favourites, the Raiders $3.75, and the Raiders have an 11.5-point start. I think the Roosters will bounce back. It was very un-Roosters-like performance last week. Having said that, Victor Radley being out, again, is a problem, and I think Jack White and a few of those players come back. Now, I think this will be a close, close game. I'm with you. I think this will be a close game, but I think the Raiders in attack, honestly, have been... They're just lacking any punch this year. Can I say something? We forgot to mention it again in the Raiders. How is George Williams any better than Aiden Caesar? He's not. He's George Williams plays in spurts. It's like when he he's got good vision. It's like when he steps up and then kind of tries to dominate. He you can see some of his skill, but then he goes into his shell for most of the game. I don't I don't know if it's the tactics or Ricky Stewart pairs him back. I don't know, but there's glimpses of George Williams, but it's not there for a lot of the game. No, no. You know, so the Roosters are Gadigal Nation and the Raiders are the Gunnawal. Nation, but I'm with you. I reckon Roosters' defense will be too good for their the Raiders' soft attack, really. Well, and the Raiders just second halves, second halves, they're nowhere, right? So it's something's like six or seven right weeks in a row. Yeah, there's something's wrong. All right, so let's move on to the games on Sunday. And we've got first up, we've got the Sharks versus the Titans. And this game's at Coffs Harbour, where the Bulldogs do their best work. The Sharks yep. are $2.25 favorites, and the Titans are $1.65. The Sharks have three and a half point start. Uh, this is a hard game. I'm tipping the Titans because. I'm tipping the Titans. As well. Yeah, I don't know if the Sharks' attack is good enough to take advantage of the Titans' shitty defense. And I know that sounds weird, but I don't think that the Sharks have enough punch to run up 20, 30 points against the Titans. And I think the Titans will score 20, 20 plus against the Sharks. The Sharks will get 20 points against the Titans. I just think that I just think the Titans might score 40. <laughs> okay, all right. It's it'd be, I just the Titans' defense is woeful. The, the Titans' defense is crap, and it's can the Titans essentially just score more points at the Sharks can against um the Titans? The Bulldogs scored attack. 20 points against. Okay, the maybe the Sharks might score 30 and the Titans might score 46. But the Sharks, this, they're from the Guiagal people and the Titans are representing the Ugambe nation. Excellent. I hadn't heard the Gold Coast one before. Last game of the round is the Knights versus Manly at McDonald Jones up in Newcastle. Knights are $4 outsiders. Manly are $1.25. Knights have 11.5 points start. The way these two teams are playing, I'd be amazed if the Knights got within 20. This is the time to get the Turbo Saab back out of the garage, and I think the Seagulls, like you, will probably beat them by 20 points. I think the Knights are just... There's too many injuries, T, too many young people. The defense is all over the place. And the way Manly are playing with Trebojevic and Saab, and, and even Garrick last week was sensational, I, I don't think the Knights are going to have enough. And the Knights representing the Awabakal nation, and the Seagulls are the Gayamagal and Garigal nation. Yeah, Manly, and I think easier. It's a matter of how many. Okay. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the round 12 preview. So what we do have is a special segment this this week where G wants to do 
his ranking of the Indigenous jerseys from 2021. Um, I am in love with the Parramatta jersey. I have bought the Parramatta Indigenous jersey. I also think many of the Indigenous jerseys are better than the regular jerseys. Oh, oh, absolutely. They look fantastic. They really do. Um, So, G, do you want to take us through your top five? Yes, I will. I've got to get my notes out. But I actually had a look at at least the ones that you could find on NRL.com. And I had to go into the depths of Google. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it's. I know Bob the death of Bob Fulton's is a massive thing for the game, but shouldn't they be sort of prepping Indigenous round from two, three rounds ago? Well, I think that's right, and I think they got to have some regular, like the Dreamtime game in the AFL. They do it so well, the Bombers versus Richmond, and we went to that a few years ago. If you remember, you you covered yourself in glory that weekend. Yep, absolutely. And I just think you need to have a regular Dreamtime, like an Anzac Day game, right? Totally agree. I think there's got to be. They've got to do. Just having an Indigenous round and quickly going through, you know, some Indigenous stuff throughout the week. South has got to be one of those teams, right? That the Indigenous often support the Indigenous players. Big Indigenous community in the eastern suburbs, whether Redfern or all the way out to La Perouse. Traditionally, yeah. You've got to to have a game that's the Indigenous round game. That'd be sensational, to be honest. I think um, it's a good idea. But, I mean, I know the NRL does its best. Sometimes, but sometimes, you know, they're lacking a little bit. Instead of worrying about cyberbullying Peter Valandis or Emperor Valandis, how about you get on and get everyone behind Indigenous Round and start building it up from a couple of weeks prior? I think it is a great initiative. I'm not going to say the NRL doesn't... It works really well, I think, with the Indigenous community, but... I'd like Indigenous Round to be a little bit more um, bigger overall, like in terms of build-up. You know, I mean, we're already talking about origin, but this is a big thing, I think. So what about your ranking? Okay, well, I've got a clear top five for me, and there's a couple just on the fringes. My favourites are the Dragons jersey, the Eels jersey, I hate saying that, but the Raiders jersey, the Sharks jersey, and the Broncos jersey. Some of those are kind of luck just by happenstance in terms of the colour schemes of the teams. So some of the designs are quite striking. But a bit of a fail for the Panthers. Fail for the Panthers, I agree. Yeah, it looked eerily similar to last year's jersey. It looks great, but it's like, come on, we need a new design. The Dragons have done a good job with their jerseys this year. I think all their jerseys look really good this year, the Dragons. I think so. The Tigers jersey is not bad. A little bit more of an orange contrast rather than a a black sort of um, dominated jersey. I, I don't mind the Broncos one. The Broncos one, the colours work really well with the Indigenous artwork. I think it looks fantastic. It really stands out. Cowboys, the front of the Guernsey is not the greatest, but then when you look at the back, the design's pretty good. And that the blue really works well with the bright orange and some of the colours they've used in the back. Melbourne's is very basic. I don't mind Manly's either. Manly's interesting because the seagull on the front of the jersey looks kind of interesting. Yeah. And... It's kind of cool, and then you turn it around, and it's got a great design on the back. But I think overall, the colours don't stand out as much because it's very... I know they're a maroon side, but even the colours sort of seep into it. There's not as much contrast. It doesn't stand out as much. South's ordinary this year. Oh, you know what? I know you like the Raiders one. I'm not I'm not huge on the Raiders one. I think it's the Raiders' colours seem... It's their bright. It's got I a... I think they, they, they caught criticism last year for their... Last year's theirs was quite ordinary. Yes, so, yeah. so they've okay. made an effort this year. Yeah. I'm also not sure about the Bulldogs one. The Bulldogs one works a little bit because it's blue and white, but I don't know if it's one of the better ones, to be honest. I think the Knights one is actually quite good, but you need to take a close look at it. Like on first yeah. glance, it doesn't really stand out, but when you look at it close, it's actually quite an intricate design. But to me, the Dragons, the white with the red and the black, really stands out. And some of the patterns, you see some of the artwork is great. 
The eels one really stands out. I like the eels one. As I, I've already mentioned that. Yeah, it's got the yellow dots, and then it's got this striking eel with a lilac sort of, you know, light blue color that is, like you look at it and it takes your eye. And the sharks is very simplistic, but their color scheme just generally, of black. Just generally, yeah, just generally. <laughs> it looks like something that ScoMo might have um, organized, but... And it's been weeks since we've mentioned Mesotesta. Essentially, it's the black and it's a simple design with some fabulous hand prints that are white and some of the white and sky blue dots. It just, as a color scheme, it just works. It really looks good. And um, the Raiders, again, because it's, it's got this really strong green stands out it catches your eye quite a bit but for me the dragons the eels the raiders the sharks and the broncos with probably the north queensland jersey and the knights just on the fringe of the top five but they're they're the best ones for me this year but honestly most of them look fantastic uh they just look awesome yeah great job they the clubs have done a great job and they sell out the indigenous jerseys sell out so they are popular so if you can get your hands on one do so they are a great great jersey and it's a great round actually I, I really enjoy indigenous rounds so well that brings us to the close of another gnt show tune in again next week where g will again spend an hour just talking about how great tommy turbo is he's become a manly supporter i never thought i'd see the day yeah i know but you aren't exactly known as the most loyal bloke around so on that note i have tipped the bulldogs exactly zero times this year <laughs> <put it> this <laughs> way you're quite you're quite a poor fan it's so, helped my tipping all right well thanks again for joining us and thank you g for another strong performance on the gnt show fantastic next week it's getting cold enough to get out the trench coat talk to you next week see you bye